I would really love for our teenagers to hear. It's all applicable to every age. But, boy, the Lord gave me a burden as I was sitting up here on Sunday night to bring the message that I'm going to bring to you this evening. And I wanted everybody, if you could, to hear it. We're going to look at a couple of different passages. It's going to be a different uh, introduction here. I plan to read two passages that express my burden for our region. And then I want to go to a second passage that will give us the text for the service. Romans chapter number 9, if you would please, in verse number 1. The Bible says, I say the truth in Christ. And this is Paul, of course, speaking. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Look at chapter 10, if you would please, and look at verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now that doesn't make sense when I read it with this next passage, but it will here in just a minute. Turn your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter number 6, and then we'll be seated. Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And I want you to notice this, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please speak to our hearts this evening. I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon each and every one of these people. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit, Lord. I beg you to guide my thoughts to guide my words. Help me to say only what you would have me to say. Oh, Lord, give our church a burden for the lost like we've never had before. Help us to prepare for people to be saved. We pray these things as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. We read those first couple of passages where Paul is speaking of Israel. You see... Paul was a Roman Jew. He was raised in that environment. But his lineage was that of Israel. He loved the children of Israel. And he wished that they would have accepted Christ as their Savior instead of rejecting Him as the Messiah. And we see it that he says, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow on my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And that's a strong statement to make. There was one other that made it in the Old Testament. And essentially said, 
I would rather that my name be blotted out. That's a heavy burden for people to say that I would be willing and rather that I would go to hell if it meant that all the lost of Israel or all of the lost would be saved. Paul says in verse number 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, and my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Ghost. He called the Holy Ghost to witness what he was saying, and the Holy Ghost allowed it to be recorded in Scripture, so I guess it must have been true. In other words, he meant it, and God knew he meant it, that he'd rather give his life and spend it accursed than for Israel to go to hell. When I was called here by God as your pastor, I'm going to share my heart with you here, and I, you need to give me a second to explain. I never imagined coming to a small town. There were quite a few churches over the years that came along that were in much bigger towns than this, and I said they were too small. <laughs> and they were not God's will, and God never gave us a piece about it, and God didn't move. He had to do a great work in my heart to move me to Campbell, Missouri, 1,900 people with the surrounding towns, a few more than that. I won't name all the towns, but some of them came to mind just now. One that was, oh, less than 20,000 people or so, I think, with a big factory in the town and in nice warm weather not too far from the coast. <laughs> and I said, it's too small. I don't have a piece about going to a place like that. I need, I need to be able to, to reach as many people as I possibly can because my heart for years has been an evangelistic spirit concerning the lost. I just want to be able to see as many people saved as possible while there's still time. And boy, when you're on the doorstep of a million people there in the Indianapolis area, I thought that would be prime for the pickings. And with a number of people, you would think so, but unfortunately, the situation was much colder than it is here to the gospel. Since we've been here, I've told you more than once that one of my prayers was that God would allow us wherever He led us, as I knew that He was leading us somewhere, just didn't know where, and I begged Him for years, Lord, please, wherever You lead us, wherever You take us, please put us in a place where we can see people saved on a regular basis. You know, in our first seven months here, I've seen more people saved in these first seven months here than I saw in most years in the Indianapolis area. Never saw that coming in a town of 1,900 people. But one day I was praying for our area. And maybe, I don't know, I don't remember the exact moment, but probably considering the size of the area. And God smote my heart and changed my heart from large populations of people to, all right, you might have a small town in a small area, but what if every single one of them could be saved? And you might say, well, that's crazy talk. Maybe it is. But you know, some of the greatest things in God's cause have been done by people that believed God could do bigger things than man's reasoning. And I know you believe that, and I do too. And my prayer has now changed from 
the way it used to be to Lord, please, and I mean it. Give us every soul in Campbell. Amen. Give us every soul in Kennett and Malden and Clarkton and Gideon and Holcomb and Piggott. Give us every soul in Dexter and Kewlin and, and, and uh, oh, what's up there, Bernie. Give us every soul in Poplar Bluff. Lord, send revival and give us every soul. Now, he's done that once or twice in the past where he poured out his spirit on a region and the number of souls that were saved were miraculous. He's done it biblically and historically. And we can go back to many accounts and see the times that God has done it, but my heart is similar. I don't know that I could say everything that Paul said. I don't know if my heart is as genuinely ready to give up my place in heaven for the lost, but I will say that when we get to chapter 10 and he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. When he says that, he's talking about all of Israel. And I tell you, you have a great burden for every single person in our region to be saved. When we get to the book of Ephesians and we begin to read that passage, we see that God makes a statement in verse number 15 that we're all familiar with, but I want to preach on it a little bit here this evening. And your feet shod with the preparation of the what? The gospel of peace. I want to preach to you this evening about preparation for the gospel. Preparation for the gospel. Dearly Father, I know I've prayed already, but I pray again because we need your power on this service. And Lord, I need you, please to guide and direct in every way, in my heart and in the hearts of your people. Please, Father, do a great work this evening. Revive us concerning souls. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name. and Amen. Would you please notice verses number 10 and 11, where the Bible says in verse number 10, Finally, my brethren, is that plural? It's plural, right? Brethren is more than one. Now, verse number 11, the Bible turns singular. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then in verse number 12, it goes plural again. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Look, if you would please, at verse number 13. Wherefore, take unto, there it's singular again, you, the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand... Notice in verse number 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Verse number 15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, the book of Ephesians is a book inspired by God to the church at Ephesus, right? So we know that this book was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to the church as a whole, which is why we get plural statements, and each and every passage is inspired by God so that we as God's people can benefit and bear fruit from the Word of God individually, right? And so, we see that God speaks to us plurally, corporately as a church. And we see that God speaks to us individually as church members in this passage. God is speaking to the church and to His people. And I want to say this, when we get to verse number 15, we know that that verse is personal, but are we performing it as it says? The Bible says, 
and your feet shod with the what? Preparation of the gospel of peace. Do you see that? Now please understand something. In order for people to be saved, we have to prepare for them to be saved. It doesn't just happen. And this is a, this, this is a request that is made by the heart of God to His church corporately and to each individual Christian individually. Is everybody still okay? So the question I want to ask first then is, corporately, what can we do as a church to prepare for the gospel of peace. I want you to consider something. That on a regular basis over the past few months, we have had visitors walk into this church and sit in these pews and sit under the preaching of the gospel. And whether the message was good or not, God has still been moving and proving that it is His work, not the preacher's. And that it is His message, and the, the, the message preached by the preacher, whether it's, whether it's bombastic and whether it is the kind of message that is really captivating or not, God can still work. And we've seen Him do that. We've seen visitors come in on a regular basis. And as a church, I want to encourage us to do something corporately publicly. I want us to begin to prepare a little bit better for the gospel of peace to be shed in the hearts of people when they come. And so you might say, well, what can we do as a church for the preparation of the gospel of peace? First of all, you can pray for souls to be saved every single service. And I'm, I'm serious about this, y'all. If you've heard this kind of stuff before, that's fine. But this is what the Lord has given me here this evening. And I believe genuinely that it is what I'm supposed to preach. And so I'm asking you to get on board and to listen the best you possibly can this evening. Listen, we need to prepare corporately, publicly, as a group for souls to be saved. But I want to ask you this. Are you praying every single Sunday morning before the preacher steps up for souls to be saved? For a visitor to walk through the door and to hear the gospel for the first time? Are you praying on Sunday night for souls to be saved? Are you praying on a Wednesday night for souls to be saved? You say, Wednesday night? That's crazy talk. People get saved on Wednesday nights? Absolutely. I remember teaching through the book of Genesis, which took like six years or something like that. And, seriously. Uh, but I remember, I remember teaching through the book of Genesis, and I don't remember exactly where I was, but it was a Wednesday night service, and I came in and, and just came in with my, my, my Genesis lesson and got through that thing and, and, and did the best that I could, but there wasn't a gospel message preached in it, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say that there wasn't. I wasn't terribly soul conscious during the service that evening, but I gave the teaching time and, 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 and came to the invitation, and I still remember, back from the back, of the room walked an entire family, a, a, a man and, and, and three or four or five kids, I can't remember how many, and his wife had been coming to church on her own all by herself for months. And she, Now listen to this preacher, and she would ask us regularly to pray, oh please, pray that my family would come to church. Oh please pray that my family would get saved. I don't know if my husband is saved, I don't know if my kids are are saved, but pray that they would come and that they would get saved. And after months and months and months of prayer on a Wednesday night for some reason, they all decided to show up to Bible study. And I wasn't preaching the gospel, but the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of their hearts. And I'm here to tell you that that entire family got saved all in one service. And I want to say that I believe God's people ought to be burdened enough to regularly be praying for people to be saved. 
You say, well, there's only 1,900 people in Campbell, Missouri. Right. But you know what? We've just met three people over the last, four people over the last two weeks that have been saved at the doorsteps and three in our church who, even though we have knocked on doors and spread the gospel and put tracks in every place that we could, there are still people out there that are lost and they're still searching and they still haven't been reached. And I think we ought to come every Sunday begging God to give us souls to be saved. We ought to be preparing as a church for people to be saved. Listen, man, the time is short. And what's going to happen to the lost soul when God comes in the clouds and calls us up to heaven and we get to rejoice in the air with all those that have gone before us? I'll tell you what's going to happen. They enter into tribulation and they'll be sent strong delusion so that it'll be nearly impossible for them to be saved. And it is our mandate and it is our job and it is our calling to make sure that we care. Young people, you ought to care about the young people in your, in, your, in your school that are lost. It shouldn't sneak by you that their soul is real and hell is real and they're going to die and go there unless somebody tells them. We ought to be praying for people to be saved. You say, well, preacher, I've already prayed for my family to be saved and they haven't come. Keep praying. Well, you know what? My whole family has heard the gospel. All right, then pray for others to be saved. And keep praying for them to be saved. Pray for the presence of God in the service. Pray for no distractions. And I love our kiddos and I love our adults, but boy, sometimes distractions can hinder a person from hearing the gospel. This is why the nursery is so important. Because if we have some precious visitor that walks in and they've got some little two-year-old Fauntleroy hanging on their arm, and they try to sit in the service with that little one because they didn't feel comfortable putting them in the nursery or they don't, they don't have the ability for whatever reason to, 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 or, or didn't know that we were ready to take care of their child. And they sit here in a service and God's trying to get a hold of their heart, but that kid keeps acting up. I'm here to tell you, I'm not saying the kid is demon-possessed, but I've seen for whatever reason and however it works, I have seen the devil use those things to keep people from going to heaven. At the very moment that God's about to get a hold of their heart and a child acts up. And it could be a church member's child, but it happens. This is why the nursery is so important. Hey, nursery workers, prepare as a church to take care of those little ones on Sunday morning. You know why? Because we need that parent to be able to sit there peacefully and hear the gospel. And you may not think that your job is very important sitting in that nursery and taking care of little ones, but it is vitally important. Pray for the presence of God in the service. Pray for no distractions. Pray for God to bring lost souls to church. Pray for the preacher. I hope you do. Can I just be totally honest with you? The last couple of months behind the pulpit has been a fight like I haven't known in a long time. And I'm begging you to pray. Pray that the word of the Lord may have free course. Pray that God gives liberty. Pray that God gives power. Pray that God allows that battle that's been taking place to be removed by His power. Pray. Pray for the preacher. Pray for response in the invitation. Listen, pray for souls to be saved. That's how you can prepare. Secondly, 
I want to say we need to create an environment that is ready and prepared for souls when they come. Visitors need to feel welcome. Boy, they need to see every single person in this church extending a, 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 a hand to shake and a big smile on your face saying, boy, it sure is glad to have you. Uh, it sure is good to have you. We are glad to have you. They need to feel welcome. Listen, we're competing against praise and worship and ungodly productions that manipulate people's emotions, and it's hard to compete against that. It is. On a fleshly level, it's hard to compete against that. And when people come to church and they don't have the Spirit of God resting in their hearts because they haven't yet been saved, they're not looking at the spiritual things, they're looking at the carnal things. So some of the things that they're looking at, how are they greeted and is anybody friendly? Now we have a very friendly church, but let me encourage you, please, please be friendly. We as a ministry need to prepare by creating an environment that is prepared for visitors to feel comfortable. It's a good thing also for visitors to have a place to sit. I've been meeting with our greeting crew here recently to discuss how we can integrate people into the services when they come. You know when a building reaches or when seats reach about 75 to 80% capacity? that it starts to get uncomfortable for visitors to come in. And you all have a seat. You know where your seat is. And so you don't mind if it's a little bit close and tight. Matter of fact, we as a church, we rejoice when the numbers are up. But when you're a visitor walking into a situation like this and you've never been here before, hey, can I ask you a question? How comfortable is it to be a visitor in a place when, when it's your first time there? Whether that's a restaurant or a school or a, a workplace or a business, first time you walk into a place, we're all uncomfortable, aren't we? Now, add to that the fact that they are experiencing a spiritual warfare to keep them from getting saved. So when they walk in these doors, the devil's not fighting them when they walk into Olive Garden for the first time in their life. He doesn't care that they're at Olive Garden. He hopes they drink a little. He doesn't care that they're there. He doesn't care when somebody walks into a grocery store for the first time. He's not fighting them against that. But when they walk into a church for the first time, not only are they dealing with the discomfort of being in a new environment by themselves for the first time, but they're also going to be dealing with satanic attacks as he whispers in their ears, see that person didn't shake your hand, they don't want you to be here. Look, there's not enough seating in that auditorium. You probably ought to just turn around and leave. Some have come to me since I've been here and said, Preacher, we probably, we used to have uh, the, the back two rows available for visitors. And maybe we ought to get back to that. And I said, you know, I, maybe that would be a good idea. But leave a place for our visitors to sit. And if it, there may come a time when we might have to clear out those back two rows and, and uh, push some of you forward to the third or fourth row, all right? Because if the building starts getting too full and visitors start walking in and they feel uncomfortable right off the bat, we may lose their soul. We've got to prepare for visitors. They've got to feel welcome. I want to say this. You can help prepare uh, for visitors and we can help to uh, create an environment that is prepared for souls to be saved by our involvement in the service. 
Listen, we may not have flashing lights and drums on the stage, but the Spirit of God works here. And we can help by being lively ourselves. By being lively in our greetings, by being lively in our singing. Hey, listen, by being lively uh, uh, in our amens. Um, all right, I'm going to get ahead of myself here a little bit, so let me stay on target. If a visitor walks in the door and the song leader says, everybody stand up and sing our first song together. And they're looking around. They don't know what to do. You know, we're used to the church environment, but they're not familiar with it. So they look left and right trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. Okay, I'm standing, but now what? Well, if they look over and they see some church member standing there while we're singing, shoulders slumped, bad attitude, talking to their neighbor. <laughs> Immediately, Satan's going to use that. Well, they don't like this church. Why is that? You know what you ought to do when the song leader says, Hey, everybody, stand up and sing. Grab a hymnal, stand up, square back, and sing so loud you can't hear anybody else. You know what my dad taught us when it came to singing in church? If you can hear anybody else singing, you're not singing loud enough. Well, I don't know how to sing. It's all right. The Lord said make a joyful noise. You can do that. Just sing. And you let, you let some visitor come. Come here, Colton. Come here. You're going to be my visitor. Colton's coming to church for the first time. And you let Colton walk in. And the song leader says, everybody stand, let's sing a song together. And he's like, what am I supposed to do? Just like he looks right now. Uh, <laughs> what's he going to do with me? What am I supposed to do? Uh, Song leader says, everybody stand up and sing. Here's what you ought to do. Grab your hymnal. Well, I know this song. It's all right. Grab your hymnal, because they don't know what to do. Grab your hymnal. Turn to the page. Pass it over to the visitor. Then grab your own hymnal. Don't do this. You know, that's eh, weird. All right? Uh, follow my finger, you know. Uh, my grandma did that when I, for me when I was four and five, you know. But don't do that for Colton, right? It's going to get awkward real quick. But... Give him, give him the hymnal, right? And then you stand there with your hymnal, and you might even follow along with your finger on your hymnal. And they're going to start catching on. They've never seen a hymnal before. They don't know verses and choruses. How's that all work? Just like that song we sang like two Sunday mornings ago. I didn't have a clue how that thing worked, you know? But, but you stand up there and sing. Oh, I turned right to it. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. They're like, what is, what are the, what, what, I am resolved no what are we singing? What in the world are they talking about? But they, they see everybody standing there singing and singing with all of their heart. You know what starts happening? They start thinking, I think they actually mean that. I think they're actually genuine about this. They like their church. They like that song. Maybe there's something to all this stuff. Thank you, Colton. You can have a seat. And then the preacher starts preaching. And he's, he's trying his... I stole your hymnal. And he's trying his dead level best. And it may be an absolute flop. And if the whole church is sitting there or a bunch of church members are sitting there and it's quiet,
And every so often we look up. Might pull out our bulletin and scribble a little something. That, vis- that visitor that just came to church, you're going to be thinking, I don't believe this. Stuff that guy's saying, the way they're acting, they must not believe what he's saying. But you let a preacher stand up and preach. And the church members, even if it's not the most dynamic message they've ever heard. Every so often say, Amen! That visitor's going to go, I think these people actually believe what he's saying. Listen, the message may not always be great, but if it's from the Bible, it's always right. You can't agree with it. That's what amen means. It means I concur. You're stepping on it. Sometimes, sometimes it's not amen, it's oh me. You know, Stepping all over our toes. But I want to encourage you to say amen. Get involved in the service. Uh, oh, I better be careful how much I say here. Brother Redmond has recently, he and I have kind of teased about how difficult it can be to preach in certain environments. And that wasn't here, to be kind. Now, I will be honest with you, and this is not meant as a reprimand, it's just pastoring. It was so quiet on Sunday, I could not believe it. And Sunday night, while Brother Mallard was preaching, he did a good job. And I'm thinking, wow, we got got to agree with him every now and then. I was glad to be able to sit up here and say amen every now and then, because I don't get to do that. But, y'all, we've got to create a lively environment that proves We believe what is being said because those visitors need to hear it. We may not have lights and drums, but we do have the Spirit of God. And if we respond to the Spirit of God, it'll help. I think we ought to to be lively ourselves in our greetings, in our singing, in our amens, in our trips to the altar. You know, Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I... I ask for a show of hands, as I always do. And some of you may get tired of me asking for a show of hands. Why does he always ask for, if you know 100% sure you're on your way to heaven, would you please lift your hand? He already knows this. I'll tell you why. Because it primes the pump for people that have never been in a service and they don't feel comfortable there. If they have to raise their hand first, it makes them feel uncomfortable. But if I ask that question first to the saved people and give the majority of the room the chance to raise their hand, I saw it on Sunday morning. during the invitation. They saw everybody raising their hands and went like this. And I thought, they're not saved. <laughs> but they're just doing what everybody else is doing. So then when we come to the second question, now the, 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 the pump has been primed. And when it was time for the altar call, I'm glad a couple people came to the altar. It did help a little bit. But sometimes people are sitting back there and God's been working on their heart and the devil's saying, don't go up there, it'll be embarrassing. Don't go up there, you don't know what you're doing. Don't go up there, nobody in your row is going. Don't go up there, the only people that went are all the way up on the front. It must not be the back half of the church. They must not go. And a visitor will sit there and they'll think, "Uh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do this. Or let's say, we got, and this has happened many times since I've been here, we got a visitor stuck in the middle, which is wonderful. It means they're sitting with people. That's wonderful. They've come with somebody. That's wonderful. I'm glad about that. But if neither 
of the people that they came with move to the altar. They're stuck in the middle, and they don't want to ask you to move because it's uncomfortable. Do you like asking people to move for you, especially when the devil's fighting you in spiritual warfare? No. When we're not clear in the clear clear in the pews for people to get into the aisles, people people often don't get saved. We need to personally be prepared for souls to be saved. We need to be taking trips to the altar and and listen. If the preacher has preached God's word and we're asking for him to come, they need to feel more comfortable when others are coming. So if you're coming, leading them to the altar can make a big difference. If, ha- if God hasn't spoken to your heart, you can at least come for their sake. Now, if God hasn't spoken to your heart, I would be concerned. But you can at least come for their sake. Uh, I think almost every Sunday, you ask me, did they get saved? And one day, she and I were talking, and she had been kneeling down here, and I said, um, I'm sorry we cut the invitation off early. I, I didn't realize you were still praying down there. She said, oh, no, Pastor, no. I'm, I was praying for those, for those people to be saved. I think everybody ought to be doing that. I really do. I need to move on. We're going to have to get some altar workers in place. Sunday morning I stepped down and, to meet this couple that was at the altar. And I don't want to say too much about the conversation. It was, there was nothing wrong with it, but just, you know, if they watch the service, I don't want to feel uncomfortable. But they were both ready to be saved, even though they had both raised their hands, you know, because they didn't know what to do. Not to say that they were saved. But when they both got up, I had a, a woman and a man. Uh, Brother Caleb Stallman came to me not long after I came here, and he said, Preacher, if you ever need somebody to witness to somebody at the altar, let me know. And so I always look for him. Sunday morning, I stood up to uh, bring, I almost said his name, but bring him back to his seat and uh, look for somebody. And I'm not trying to be unkind, but I just didn't know who else to call on. Uh, Most of our preachers were out Sunday morning. Brother Caleb wasn't there, and I stood up and I went, Honey, you just take both of them. And that's okay. And she did a wonderful job, and they both uh, wonderfully got saved. But uh, I'm asking for some of you, to be willing to be an altar worker, which means that you're ready every single invitation time to lead a soul to Christ. All right, uh, I need to move on. First of all, I'm asking you, please, what can we do as a church? Number one, pray for souls to be saved. Number two, now I'm talking corporately. Number two, create an environment here that is ready and prepared for souls. Number three, prepare the building for visitors. So I mentioned earlier that lost people don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, so they look at the carnal things. Here are the things that most people look for when they come to a church for the first time. The children's program and nursery. How good is it? How clean is it? How professional does it look? The bathrooms. How nice are they? Are they clean? The building. Is it modern? Is it, is it, is it professional looking? Is it nice? Is it a place that I'd be glad to come to and say, I go to that church? Unfortunately, that's the way they're thinking. They're thinking carnally. They're not thinking spiritually. You all come for the preaching if you've got the Spirit of God in your hearts, but a lost person doesn't. How much room is there to sit? How friendly are the people? 
And so we need to do our best in these areas to make sure that our children's programs are ready and everybody's in their places for their Sunday school classes and for their nursery schedule and for your greeting schedule. We just handed out greeting schedules for, for people to get involved in greeting. It is vitally important. Well, we don't have visitors all the time. I know that. But the moment that we have visitors that walk in, if they're not made to feel welcome and we don't start overcoming a whole bunch of those personal and, and spiritual hurdles that they're going to have, then we may very well lose their spirit before they ever sit down. We need to have the building ready, the bathrooms ready, the seating ready. All of this stuff is necessary. Hey, church member, if you see, if you, see you know, uh, in the guy's bathroom, you see something on the, on the floor in the bathroom, pick it up and throw it away. Well, that's gross. It's in the bathroom. I know. Okay, so wrap your hand up real good with another paper towel and then grab it. But clean it up. Because you, you have some visitor that walks in, and we got paper towels on the floor, and the sinks are dirty, and the soap dispensers aren't filled, and the paper towels aren't coming out. And they walk into the stall, and there's no TP there. I'm serious. They might endure the service, but they're probably not coming back. And not everybody gets saved the first time, first time they visit. We need them to leave going, wow, that was a great experience. So church member, you walk into a bathroom, and I'm not trying to be crass. You use the last paper towel or the last part of the TP. Help us with it. This is our church. Let's corporately be prepared for our visitors. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that those things, I don't think I've ever seen that we were out or low on those things. Boy, the Moses and others do a great job keeping up with that stuff, but you never know. Things happen. Beware of clicks. Oh, brother, this is a big one. Come here, Thad. You're the new visitor. All of you boys, stand up, please. Make yourself a circle right here like you do every Sunday night. No, now listen, I'm not preaching at you guys for that. That's fun, okay? We're just having fun together. We're good, all right? We're good. It's not, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. But let's say, let's, say, let's say somebody walks in, and we've got a pocket of church members over here. We've got a pocket of church members over here. We've got a pocket of church members over here. We've got a pocket of church members in the aisle. And they walk in, and there's nobody to greet them. There's nobody to shake their hand. And when they sit down, everybody's just in their pockets. Beware of clicks. You know what our responsibility is every service if a visitor walks in? Not to make them feel awkward. It may not be good for all 150 church members to go shake their hand in the first five minutes. I have been to churches like that that are trying way too hard, you know, and then you get uncomfortable that way too. But just do your best to make the place look inviting. Beware of clicks. Go sit next to somebody that you don't even know because they came in by themselves. Hey, I'm so glad you're here today. What's your name? Trying to decide if he wants a new name or his old name. <laughs> I've been there more than once in a church service, just like you just went through. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Chad is our visitor. Chad comes in. Chad doesn't have anybody with him. Hey, Chad, I'm glad you're here. You want to sit with me today? He might say, no, I don't like you. That's fine. <laughs> Smile and say, well, praise the Lord. I'm glad you came today. And walk away. Don't fight with him. Go back to your click and leave them alone. No, uh, but anyway, but, you know, but invite them to sit with you. 
Beware of clicks because it really deters visitors. Thank you, guys. You can all be seated. By the way, keep doing that after services. I was just having fun with you. All right, we, we got to be done. But I'm halfway through. I'll get through the last half quickly. I'm going to skip all kinds of notes here. I'm going to be done with that section. All right, so that's what we can do corporately, and, and there are a lot of other things, but what can we do to prepare ourselves? Not what can we do to prepare our church, but what can we do to prepare ourselves? Number one, take it personal. Take it personal. Make it personal that people are dying and going to hell. Don't let that get old. Too many of us aren't taking it personal. That we are instrumental in a soul coming to Christ, even if it's just a warm handshake and a smile. Take it personal. Take the singing personal. Take the Bible reading time. When, when, when I say stand and open your Bibles and, and, and read along with me. Open your Bible and read along with me. And when we're asking for response every now and then, you know, and what's that word say there? Try to respond if I tell you what passage we're in. My wife had to help me the other day. She told me I haven't been naming the passages after I switch sometimes. You know, we're... We're in Ephesians, and then, you know, I'm like, I'm turning your Bible over to Ezekiel chapter 12, you know. And then I'm like, and then over here it says, and I'm reading, and everybody's like, where are you? So I'm trying to get better at that. But be responsive in the reading of the Scriptures. Asking of questions. Uh, hey, uh, take saying amen. Personal. I'm serious. Now, not every personality is conducive with a big shouting amen. Um, but sometimes we don't do it and we excuse it because, well, it's just not my personality, but let me encourage you to understand something. Anytime we try to do something spiritual, we're also experiencing that spiritual warfare, right? And we also feel uncomfortable. And we have to fight through our flesh in order to help the church environment be lively enough that people can tell we actually believe what's being said and take it personal. Hey, listen, if the church is getting quiet and there aren't very many amens, take it personal. Say amen. And some of you young men, you're waiting for that light to go on when you feel like saying amen, you know, because when you become a man, you know, you just feel more comfortable doing it. No, you have to make yourself do it. You have to make yourself do all spiritual things. You have to make yourself go soul winning. I still feel uncomfortable soul winning. Really? You've led all these people to the Lord and talk about knocking doors all the time and, and you still feel, yep, every time. Still feel uncomfortable. It never has gotten easier. Now, maybe for some people, their personalities, it does get easy. But for me, that spiritual battle is always there. And we've got to, I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm trying to finish my notes here and just be done. We've got to get familiar if we're going to do the work in the spiritual realm with being uncomfortable. You've got to force yourself to do things that you don't feel good about. Because that spiritual 
warfare that's going on between your flesh and the Spirit of God is always going to be there. So, well, I don't feel like saying amen. Okay, say it anyway. It's uncomfortable. Well, you don't have to, you don't have to take over the service and shout the house down, but you can say it. Well, we need to take these things personal, and I'm begging you, please, please, to take it personal. Take the life, the life of the service personal. Take the singing personal. Don't expect everybody else to sing. Take it personal. Hey, listen, um, those of you that sing specials and sing in the choir, take your preparation personal. Don't just assume everybody else is preparing. Before you step into that choir, pray and ask God to fill you with His Spirit and to use you in that song. Yeah, but there's 20 other people up here singing. That's all right. Take it personal. Take it personal that when you stand up there to sing, you need to have the Spirit of God filling your life. Take it personal. Take it personal, church. Take it personal when you sing in the choir. Take it personal when you sing a special. Take it personal when it's time to sing the congregationals. Take it personal. Pray and prepare for souls before Sunday arrives, before Wednesday night arrives, and get familiar with being uncomfortable. Listen, soul winning ought to be Personal. It shouldn't be something that we count on the pastor to do. Listen to me. People are dying and going to hell all across our region and we ought to take it personal. The Bible does say, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. I don't know why we have this idea that it's supposed to be left to the pastor, the missionary, the evangelist, the, the, the deacon. It's every Christian. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Amen. Every one of us are called to be prepared with the gospel of peace. Amen. Preacher, I don't know how to lead a soul to Christ then start learning. Come talk to me and I'll talk you through it. But take it personal. Take it personal. Church, I cannot instill in you the burden that I have, but I wish I could. It is my desire to see all of Campbell and all of Malden and all of Kenneth saved, but I can't reach them all. I need some help. And it's going to have to happen on more than just one hour on Saturday mornings. It needs to be a lifestyle where we carry around with us gospel tracts ready to witness. Please, I'm begging you. Understand the times we're living in. The time is short. Take it personal. And having your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I don't know how to lead a soul to Christ. You say, okay, then shod your feet and prepare for it. That's for every Christian. It's a personal statement made to every Christian. Amen. Are you prepared to lead a soul to Christ? If you're not, grab one of those tracks. Memorize the, the, the points in the Scriptures. 
You can do this. Colton came to me the other day, last Wednesday night, I think it was. Was it last Wednesday night? Brother Charles Colton came. There he is. Hi, hi, Colton. I use you as an illustration. How did I forget you were here? Um, Colton, I think it was last Wednesday night, Colton walked up here onto the platform. And he said, Pastor, I think God's been working on my heart to lead people to Christ or to see people saved or something like that. I said, Colton, that's wonderful, man. I said, well, I encourage you to do two things. One, start carrying some gospel tracts with you and just hand them out. If, even if you're not ready to talk to people about the Lord, you can hand them a gospel tract. Two, start coming soul winning immediately. You know, I forgot about that conversation between last Wednesday night and Saturday morning. Saturday morning, I stepped out, got my computer on my shoulder, getting ready to come over here and make sure the flyers are printed off and get everything ready. And I walk out and I see Brother Charles dropping Colton off on their motorcycle. How cool. Go so winning on a motorcycle. That's awesome. And I remembered, that's right. Colton, Colton said he felt like God was telling him he needed to lead people to Christ. And he did exactly what I said, and he showed up on Saturday morning. And we paired him up with Brother Caleb, who comes every Saturday. And I said, Brother Caleb, take him with you on the buses and then try to knock on a couple of doors and just let him see what it looks like to, to, to at least start the process. We don't have to teach him everything in one weekend, but, but just get him familiar with it. And they went out, knocked some doors. I think your group ended up having a new young lady come on Sunday, didn't you? It wasn't, oh, she didn't come, but she promised to come. All right, so that's good. So he got to see that. We'll go back and visit with her. Amen. Colton took it personal. And I need your help. And I need yours and yours and yours and yours. We've got to reach our area, man. It's getting close. Don't, get, don't let it get old. <laughs> Some Mexican fellow over at at the grocery store here at Vansel's on Saturday, O'Neill's are talking to. Some of my Spanglish came back a little bit. And we talked a little bit and had some fun. O'Neill's were talking to him. It's got to be a lifestyle. It can't just be for an hour on Saturday. We won't reach them all in that amount of time. Amen. Please be looking for lost souls. Please remember that person across from the gas pump from you is lost, most likely or let's say could be lost. Please remember that person in the store could be lost. Please remember your neighbor could be lost. All right, so we've witnessed to our family members and our friends, and none of them are getting saved, or they've already all gotten saved, or however it works. All right, it's time for us to branch out and reach more. We have to press ourselves to do things our flesh or our personality doesn't always want to do. And that especially includes soul winning. I'm done tonight. I'm going to be finished. Or do I give that story? First soul I led to Christ. I was 12 years old. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying what we had. We had some preachers come through for a, I don't know a couple of 
years or so, Dad had a couple of different men come through that were soul-conscious evangelists, and boy, they really preached about seeing people saved. And One of them was Dr. Dennis Corll. I don't know if any of you know him or not, but I mean, he knows his Bible up and down, backwards and forwards. He will quote it for two hours almost every message, but he's a great preacher. Uh, and boy, he came wringing our hearts out about seeing souls saved. And as a young man, I began to think just like Colton. I, I don't know how to do it, but I want to try to lead somebody to Christ. And he had this binder. And I don't even remember what it was called. I still got it somewhere in my library. It had this binder that had laminated pages on it that you could just read through the pages and lead a soul to Christ at their door or, you know, wherever you were. And he encouraged us, if you want to start soul winning but you don't know where to start, I encourage you to get one of those binders. I don't think I had any money. I don't remember if my parents bought it or I bought it. I don't remember how it all worked. But I remember getting that binder and starting to try to get familiar with it and went out soul winning with that crazy binder. It was a Thursday night. I was about 12 years old and we were doing some apartment complexes up on the hillside there in Parkersburg, West Virginia. I still remember what they looked like. We knocked a few doors and it wasn't, you know, nothing, nothing special was happening. And You never know. We walked up to one door and knocked on it. I'm not trying to be unkind, but I'm, this, this, this big lady walked to the door. She had to kind of turn this way. <laughs> and we began to talk, and I, I was so nervous, stumbling all over myself, but I asked her if she knew for sure she was going to heaven when she died, and she said no. I said, would you like to know, and she said yes, and then I panicked. Great, now what? Pulled the binder out, and I tell you all, I, I still remember. Man, I stumbled and stuttered and stammered. And over, uh, over here on, uh, let's see this, no, uh, yeah, right on this part of the page here, and I just read it, and she read it with me, pictures on it and everything, you know. Man, I stumbled and stammered, and I was so embarrassed. We got through that thing, and at the end, it, it encourages, you know, to, to, to pray with them if they'd like to ask the Lord into their hearts. And so I began to pray, and I I don't remember exactly what I prayed, but I think it was written in the book. So I prayed the first few words, and she repeated after me. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, you were supposed to read and pause, give them a chance to, to say it. So I did. We got through the prayer, and at the end, when I prayed, I always prayed personally to the Lord in closing. So it was something my dad would do. I would hear him, instead of saying, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen, he would just say, and in your name we pray, amen, or in your name I pray, amen. And so that's the way I was praying. We're going through and we get down to the end and she's repeating after me and I don't know how it's going. I've got my eyes closed, you know, or actually probably looking at the book. And we get down to the end and I started to close the prayer and I said, and in your name, and I paused. There's long, awkward silence. She says, Candy? Her name was Candy. And the way I prayed, instead of saying, instead of closing a prayer and in Jesus' name, I said, and in your name. She was like, mm, I guess I'm supposed to put my name here, you know. <laughs> and in your name, Candy? And I'm, I'm, now I'm panicking even more. And I remember my face flushing red. And you all know me, I flush red easy. I had to be beat red. I was so embarrassed. I didn't even know how to close the prayer. 
And when I looked up, I thought that was a catastrophe. Except there were tears rolling down her cheeks. It had nothing to do with me, believe me. I made a mess of it. But I'll never forget that first soul I got to see come to Christ and the power of God that worked in spite of all of my shortcomings. We got to overcome our discomfort. And we need your generation to start witnessing, not just track passing. And we need our church to take it personal. That souls might be saved. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please help us to prepare as a church and help us to prepare personally for souls to be saved. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to come every single week desiring to see another soul saved in the service. Help us to take it personally when we're out and around that we ought to be a witness. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, how many would say, Preacher, if I were to die today,